Chapter 11 of The Radio Beasts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Daryl Hansen. The Radio Beasts by Ralph Milne Farley. Chapter 11 With the Army. For a moment, Miles was dumbfounded. Almost he fired. Then, remembering his instructions, Arta, he said, and made the sign. It is well, the sentinel replied, lowering his gun. Come, I will conduct you. Where the sentinel was to lead him, the Lord only knew. But Cabot trusted in the foresight of the priests and followed. The fellow proved a most loquacious guide, so that Miles had little difficulty to remain reticent. The guide started talking almost at once. From the capital? he asked. No, Miles replied. What is the news from the capital? The sentinel smiled a sagacious smile. Yuri reigns over Cupia, said he, and beside him on the throne sits Formus the black hag of the ants. Surely you have heard the ribald jests which this has caused among both races. Cabot shook his head. Too many damned ants in this country now, the Cupian continued. But we have been given to understand that this is only a temporary measure. Of course, King Yuri cannot know whom to trust among his own people. I hope that I have not offended. Not at all, said Cabot. Go on. I don't know that there is much more to say. Our leaders tell us that Cabot the Minorian is the cause of all our troubles. But for my own part, I share the belief of most of the common soldiers that he was a great patriot. I can say this without treason, now that he is dead. May he rest beyond the seas. But I talk too much. That is always my failing. Do I offend? Certainly not, Cabot replied. In fact, I share your belief to a large extent. But just how did the Minorian die? They burned him to death in the woods north of Luno. No man could live in that blaze and he was completely surrounded. But they never found his body. Not that I doubt his death, he added hastily. Still, there be many who say that Cabot is supernatural, and there is ample grounds for that belief. Did he not vanquish a whistling bee alone and single-handed at Sultona? Did he not escape alive from the valley of the Howling Rocks? after his ant executioners had actually seen him perish because of the terrible din, and after he had been pronounced officially dead. Did he not slay a woofus in the woods south of Kuwana? In the present war, was he not killed at the barricade north of the capital, only to show up alive 43 days later at Lake Luno? All of these events are evidence 
pointing to the conclusion that Cabot is not mortal. And unless he be supernatural, how did he ever get to this planet in the first place? From Minos, 25 million stads away through space. Answer me that. But I mustn't talk too much. Go right on, said Miles. Though, of course, I cannot agree with you that this Cabot person is any different from the rest of us. This started the guide off on a new track, an anatomical discussion of earth-born peculiarities. While Cabot permitted his attention to center on wondering whither he was being led and why, great were the ramifications of the lost religion. The guide discussed how this remarkable Cabot person, being a Minorian, had strange mushroomy growths at the sides of his head, the use of which, if any, was vague and uncertain, but apparently something like that of antenna. Also, how he had no real antenna and no vestigial wings, as he ought to have if he were a veritable Cupian. But mostly, the guide dwelt on the fact that this Cabot had five fingers on each hand instead of the proper six. At these remarks, Cabot himself carefully hid both of his telltale hands in the folds of his toga. His artificial wings, his electrical antenna, his sandals, and the locks of hair which concealed his ears all served as a perfect disguise, provided that he could keep his hands from being seen. But the guide was too intent on his own conversation to notice anything, even if Miles had not taken this precaution. So he rambled on as they wended their way through the mountains. Around noon, they stopped to mess with a small encampment of Cupians. As they waited for the meal to be served, they sat down on the crest of a slope overlooking a fertile valley, at the other side of which rose a range of hills. The guide indicated these hills with a wave of his hand and said, Thither lies our enemy, on whom you have been sent to report. So that was what this trip was supposed to be for. Tell me, said Miles, their condition. The guide turned inquiringly to one of the other Cupian soldiers and explained, This is Arta, a messenger on reconnaissance. He has the sign. So you may tell him all. Whereat the soldier stated, Know then that those hills beyond that valley hold a force of Cupians which greatly outnumber us. The enemy are too scattered, and too little is known of their exact disposition to enable us to bomb them out by airplane. But, on the other hand, our complete control of the air prevents them from attacking us. We are rapidly completing a topographical survey by airplane. New planes are arriving from Mooney as fast as the factories there can turn them out. And ant reinforcements are arriving as fast as Kirkools can bring them up. The stage is nearly set for the victorious advance of King Yuri, and for the end of the pretendership of his brother Toron. But, of course, being from headquarters, you know all this. What you now want is details. Is that not so? Just then the food arrived. Bowls of Alta and green milk. 
The guest was served first. Instinctively, Cabot extended his hand to accept the proffered bowl. And instinctively, the soldier with whom he had been talking followed his movement with his eyes. All too late, Cabot realized what he had done. For there, exposed before them, was a right hand with no counterpart on all poros, a hand with only five fingers, not six, the hand of Cabot, the Earthman. Simultaneously, the two sprang to their feet, overturning the bowls of food as the Cupian soldier shrieked, Not Arda, but Cabot. Cabot the Minorian has come to life again. Out shot the right fist of the Earthman, and tumbled the soldier in the dust. Then, before the rest of the astounded company had time to grab their rifles, Cabot had leaped from their midst, and was rushing down the grassy slope to the valley below. A volley of shots followed him, and then the chase began. But his earthly agility stood him in good stead, in spite of his weakness, for he covered the ground much more rapidly than his pursuers, and finally cleared at one bound the brook at the bottom, whereas they were forced to halt and ford it. But this halt brought forth several more volleys of bullets, one of which nicked the lobe of his ear, where the tiny earphone failed to cover it. Cabot smiled grimly as he raced up the opposite slope. He could never repay that outrage, for Cupians have no ears, at last he dropped, panting, in a little ravine which shielded him from his pursuers, whom he was confident would not dare to penetrate thus far into enemy territory. But a peremptory cry of, Halt! brought him suddenly to his feet again. He found himself looking into the muzzle of a Cupian rifle. I am halted, he replied somewhat testily. Then stay halted, countered the Cupian. In the name of the king. Which king, O sentinel? asked the earthman. To which there came back the answer. Doron, rightful ruler of all Poros. Thank God, exclaimed Cabot, dropping once more to the ground, for I am Miles Cabot. At last he had reached his journey's end. The sentinel hastily summoned assistance, and their exhausted leader was carried on a litter to army headquarters, where Butedin, Poblath, and the others crowded around him and patted his cheek with every expression of joy at his deliverance. Poblath, exclaiming jovially, I told you they could never kill a Minorian. Even Hababu was there too. How he had gotten there, when he was supposed to be holding the Kuwana jail as a nucleus for the loyal elements at the capital, was a mystery to Cabot. But the Earthman had not time to inquire. For other matters of more immediate importance now engrossed his attention. Ha was in charge of the loyal forces, and Miles, because of his weakened condition, permitted his friend to retain the active command, which otherwise would have reverted to him as Field Marshal of Cupia. While the greetings were in progress, who should enter but Prince Toron? It was instantly evident that he had not been informed of Cabot's arrival and was taken by complete surprise. 
so much so, in fact, that the young fellow appeared embarrassed and confused. The earthman sensed this, and immediately there was reawakened in his breast the suspicion which had been born when he had read Toron's note, pinned by the dead body of the baby king, but which had been stilled for a time by the plausible story told by the priests of the lost religion in the caves of Kar. Accordingly, the greetings between these two were a bit formal and stilted. After the cheek-patting between them was over, Miles controlled his voice as much as possible and asked, Your Majesty, does Your Majesty happen to know anything about the death of my son, the baby king? Toron started, and his face darkened. Were you at Luno Castle? he asked. Yes, replied Cabot grimly. Then did you not find the body and the note pinned with a dagger? Yes, said his inquisitor. That was what aroused my curiosity. But the note told the facts, exclaimed the startled young prince. Yes, said Miles. And, as I remember it, the words were merely, This is what did the deed. I came too late. Toron, king of Cupia. That explains nothing. It does not even state who killed little Q. Cabot snapped his words short with an air of finality. A look of horror gradually spread over Toron's face as he stared at the other. My builder, he exclaimed. You don't mean to say you think that I did it? This is treason, Hababu declared in a determined tone. Now, see here, interjected Poblath soothingly. Let's get this straight. I don't believe that our good friend from Minos is quite himself after all his hardships. But I can assure him that I saw the blow struck, and that Prince Toron had not then even arrived at Luno. Toron and Cabot both collapsed limply and looked at each other with pity in their eyes. I too have suffered and am not myself, said the young prince in extenuation. Toron, cousin of my wife, forgive me, replied Miles. Whereat Poblath the philosopher, to relieve the strained situation, hastily suggested, Come, Miles Cabot, tell us all that has happened to you these many days since we last saw you in my Mang'ul at Kuana. Cabot roused himself. But no, said he, for I want first to hear the tale of my good friend, Prince, er, uh, King Toran. Yes, yes, tell him, said Poblath hurriedly. The boyish contender for the throne looked inquiringly around the circle, and, receiving several nods of approval, began. It happened this way, Miles. The instant that my uncle was shot dead by my murderous brother at the peace day exercises, my first thought was of my beloved cousin, the Princess Lilla. I did not even stop to consider that the assassination had given me a claim to the throne. If I had paused, it might have occurred to me that the proper place to strike a blow for her safety was right there in the stadium, 
in an attack on the pretender Yuri. But as it was, I had but one idea. Northward. I have had that idea myself, Cabot interjected with a smile. The tension was broken, Poblath remarking dryly, Great minds think alike. So, the boy continued, I rushed for the nearest exit and gained my own plane before the fighting in the stadium got really underway. But as I helicoptered up into the air, I noted that my fuel tanks were nearly out of alcohol. This meant stopping at the nearest filling station and a delay of many precious paraparts. Nevertheless, there was no alternative. The keeper of the station did not recognize me. But noticing our family crest on the machine, he asked, A supporter of Yuri? This gave me an idea. You too, I replied. He assented. Then, in the name of the great architect, lend me a rifle and a yellow pennant so that I may join his forces in safety. He readily complied. In fact, he seemed to know all about the coup. And thus it happened that I rose into the air, flying the accursed colors of the new dynasty. But even as my plane left the ground, there passed overhead a Formian fleet of bombers headed northward, undoubtedly bound for Lake Luno on some devilish errand. It was up to me to interfere. You mean to say, interjected Miles, that you dared to tackle, single-handed, a whole squadron of Mooney-trained ant-men? Toron shrugged his youthful shoulders. Why not, said he. I am a graduate of the Ant University. It would be a good lark. A Cupian can only die once, so he might just as well die happily, as Poblath here would say. Besides, and his face hardened, it was necessary for my cousin Lilla's sake. So up I went and after them. My newly acquired yellow banner gave me free passage into the very midst of the fleet. And then I let loose with the rifle. Oh, it was fun to see the black beasts drop. My only regret was that I didn't have enough explosive bullets, like those which we used in the War of Liberation. Of course, ruefully, eventually they shot me down. But it was a great fight while it lasted. Were you hurt? asked the Earthman. Oh, no, the boy replied. They merely got my fuel tank. And so I was able to make a fair landing, one hundred stads or so, north of Kuana. But down they all came on top of me. And captured you? inquired Miles. End of chapter 11